1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Stress to the max, pushed to the limit, squeezed for time, doing more with less, productivity up, leisure time down. Sound a lot like your life? No doubt. For increasing millions of Americans, it is, and yet... How often do you hear of deathbed regrets of not having worked longer hours or stayed down at the office more? We have substituted quality for quantity, and we are, quite frankly, all results-driven and satisfaction-starved. We've even managed to complicate our spiritual lives to the point of doing more while loving less. Spiritual Simplicity, Chip Ingram's new book, helps us rebalance and reorder our lives back to God's ideal for us, doing less, loving more. Chip is senior pastor at Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos, and Pastor Chip, great to have you join us on this edition of Lifeline.
1: Craig, it's always a joy to be with you, and we obviously love the Bay Area, and thanks for having me.
0: Wow, a topic that I think uh, every single American can certainly relate to, particularly for those of us living the, the crazy uh, Silicon Valley dance here in the Bay Area. Uh, we are emotionally and spiritually exhausted. What's going on?
1: Well, I, uh, you know, I actually entitled, in honor of where we live, the first chapter of the book talks about the Silicon Valley Shuffle. <laughs> and, uh, and there's four steps to this dance, bigger, better, faster. And then if you whatever you're doing, I mean, whatever your kids are doing, whatever your company's doing, whatever your home's doing, you want it to be bigger, and then it needs to be better, and then it needs to be faster. And then if we ever get those three steps down, then we add one more, more. So bigger, better, faster, more. Bigger, better, faster, more. And it just creates insane pace. It creates uh, people passing in the night. You're up early. Uh, the weekends are in SUVs and minivans going to five or six different games and we've got our kids in all measure of things to prepare them for success, and the relationships get thin, and just the world that we have allowed ourselves, I mean, it's, it's there, but it moves too fast, it delivers too little, and it demands too much, and this book is about God's remedy to that, and that real change is possible.
0: There is such a a vacuum of satisfaction at so many levels that people are experiencing in their marriages, in their relationships with their children, at work, even in church, and even their relationship with God. And it's interesting because when I first picked up this new copy of Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More, which, by the way, newly released by our friends over at Simon & Schuster, you can get it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. I thought, okay, this is probably what we've kind of come to anticipate when we deal with this topic of overstressed and and undersatisfied. And that is, um, Chip has written a new book here that will give us some insights, the strategic focus on time management and organization. But in fact, this book has nothing to do with that. And boy, aren't I relieved.
1: Yeah, there's not seven things to do that'll simplify your life or uh, three keys to remember or uh, here's the silver bullet, you know, if you read pages 5, 7, 11, and 14 for 1995, uh, all your stress will go away, your life will be simplified, and things will be wonderful. But it is a completely different paradigm about how to look at life, and it's very interesting. As you and I were talking just before we you know, came on the air here that, you know, in uh, the very beginning of 2011, I discovered right after teaching this series that became the book that my wife had cancer. And, and, you know, I, like you, I mean, I've, I live in Silicon Valley. Uh, the church is uh, experiencing some, some exciting things. Living on the Edge has had a real explosion in the last three or four years. And so should I go to this city, and I've got to finish this book, and I need to speak there? And, you know, busy, 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 full, full, full. And, you know, I have driven some stakes about time with my wife and time with the Lord and things, but still just overwhelmed at times. And it was really interesting, Craig, um, two days after we found out she had cancer, and then we learned that, you know, we were going to do some surgery, and then we'd have a number of treatments. Uh, literally, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. Two days earlier, I agonized, you know, can I, can I be in New York? And if I'm there, then I, can I get in Chicago in time? You know, all these, it was, I canceled everything. I canceled everything for six or nine months, other than my basic responsibilities of teaching here at the church and meeting with our staff. And, and you, you know something? And then I, I, I went through every treatment with my wife, and I had time. And, and you know what? All that didn't matter. And the thesis of this book, and we'll talk about how to get there, is if you choose, and I hope you don't need someone to get cancer or the death of someone, Or but when you choose to say, I'm going to love more, I'm going to love, I'm going to make sure this relationship is where it needs to be, you just start doing less. But the irony was the church grew like never before. Living on the Edge had its best year. My wife and I's relationship was like, I mean, we've always been close, but it was like, wow. As hard as it was, that intensity and that pain together, Uh, fortunately she's come through it all and has good health. But I just want to let people know it's really a new paradigm. It's not about doing more. It's about loving more.
0: Well, that's just it, because so often we define ourselves in sort of the measure of a man or a success that marks one's life based on what we've done, what we've accomplished, and and, and seldom, if ever, defined on uh, how we love, and yet throughout Scripture... What's demonstrated is not what we do or how we do it, but why we do it, the motivation and and how we love. So you're really shifting this away from the notion of get more satisfaction out of life, get more organized, get more things done. No, it's rather moving away from kind of that stereotypical bigger, better, faster, more uh, paradigm that we've all lived by in these 50 and 60 plus hour work weeks to now understand how quickly time slips by Mm. and that we need to completely Change up the conversation from being defined by what we accomplish in life to rather being defined by how we love. Wow.
1: One of the things that has helped me, because, you know, you don't just, you know, those are great thoughts, and I'm thinking, you know, someone's driving in their car right now and on a very crowded freeway probably, or, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, podcast your program and are working out somewhere. Uh, But we do ask the question unconsciously, how did I do, which is about performance. We ask the question, so what do I have you know, compared to other people, which is about possession? And then we say, well, you know, how much do I give? You know, I give this to my family. I give this to work. I, I give this to the church. And what I found is that if you're going to shift from sort of performance and pressure uh, to really loving, you have to change how did I do to who am I becoming? Mm. I mean, Im- imagine what would happen if you wrote on a card, who am I becoming, and read it in the morning, and kept it in the car with you, and and read it before you went to bed, and you start evaluating, who are my kids becoming? Not how did they do, not how many points did they score, not what are their tests, but what kind of people are they becoming? The second question is from, what do I have? And no matter how much we have, we're human, we want more, is, how am I using it? You know, it shifts from acquiring to stewardship. And then the third question is, instead of, how much do I give to other people and to my kids and... To why do I give it? So it shifts from sort of the provision that I'm doing, because we think, well, I'm, I'm doing this for my family. and providing for them. Uh, I've got to get them in all these youth sports. I've got to give them all these lessons, and they need to have all these tutors. And, and don't get me wrong, th- there's a place for, you know, performance and priorities, but we've overdosed on that. If the question goes to why do I give it, it goes to motive. You know, what, what are we really <clears throat> trying to accomplish?
0: A lot of this, Pastor Chip, runs counterintuitive to the flesh, doesn't it? I mean, for example, we just came through recently the big Super Bowl game, and San Francisco, you know, painfully just a few points shy of being able to pull out a win. You were a coach. For many, many years. So much of how we define life is based on the, the, the you know, the sports model of scoring the points, beating the other guys, so to speak. Now all of a sudden we're we're talking about a paradigm shift here as you've suggested that it seems to me it runs counterintuitive to to what our flesh desires to do.
1: Well, it's super counterintuitive and here's what I would just say. In, in five seconds, three years ago, who won the Super Bowl? Quick, 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 tell me. Forget it. <laughs> no one knows.
0: Couldn't tell you who played in it. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and, and you know, I, I'm, you know maybe a, a quick aside, a, a player that I really like uh, got inducted to the Hall of Fame and uh, he's one of the ESPN announcers and as a result of that, you know, they had the chairs up there, the new Hall of Fame and they interviewed him and they spent a lot of time on it because he couldn't, he just couldn't control his emotions and he began to cry, and say, oh. he kept apologizing, you know, big, strong. I mean, he's a hall of fame, uh, came, you know, went into the hall, and, and he couldn't get his arms around these emotions. And, and so, you know, after three, four, five minutes of trying to get his emotions and crying, It was one of the saddest things I ever heard, and he just stopped. He goes, all I can tell you is uh, it's the third ballot, and they told me it would be this great even if it wasn't the first ballot and the second ballot, and they were right. It's the third ballot. This is by far the happiest day of my life. And I was sitting you know, in my little chair in front of the TV, and I don't know why, but it was like a stab in the heart, and I thought to myself, That is so sad. I wonder how his wife feels about, like, okay, our wedding day, or one of his kids when they were born. So he's given his life to perform. The dream is to be in the Hall of Fame. He's finally in the Hall of Fame. His bust will be in bronze, and people that don't know him 10 or 15 or 20 years ago will walk by and go, oh, that's a guy receiver for that team, and, you know, and and. And then if you're a kid, you think, so the the happiest day in my dad's life didn't have anything to do with me. Mm. The happiest day didn't have anything to do with my marriage. And and, and you know what? He's sincere. And I really like the guy. He's one of my favorite players. But I just thought, you talk about your ladder getting set on the wrong wall and climbing it to the top and realizing, boy, if having your bust in bronze makes the happiest day of your life, How many of us right now, listening to our conversation, are working like crazy, are busy on the weekends, driving from sport to sport, have no time for one another, are completely stressed out, only to find when your kids hit 20, instead of feeling grateful like you've done all this for them, they say, You know what? We didn't have very rich relationships. You didn't have any time for me. Quote, You made me do all these things. In fact, we were trying to love them. And then you wake up, and the guy spent all of his time on his job, and the woman, with all the time with the kids, and now it's the empty nest, and we have nothing in common. And all that really matters, loving God, loving each other, loving your kids, took third or fourth or fifth place. And then you have train wrecks. And, and pastoring for 30 years, I'm just seeing it everywhere. And, it and you know,
0: and the amazing thing, Chip, is at the end, all of the temporal passes away. I mean, one day it's all going to return back to dust. Even even those bronze statues right. will be gone. And all we're left with is the eternal. If you've just joined the conversation today, you recognize the voice, Pastor Chip Ingram, Senior Pastor Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos, and a brand new book out that can be life-changing for you, Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More. We'll get back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special guest today. Always a pleasure to have Pastor Chip Ingram on the program. We're talking today about his latest book called Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More, the book newly released by Simon & Schuster. You'll find it on the shelves of bookstores around the Bay Area. Of course, you can also get it through Amazon.com. It's interesting getting into the book and beginning to realize, Pastor Chip, that this is not a book on uh, time management and organization, but rather shifting our thinking and going from valuing ourselves based on what we do to rather who we are and how we love. And that said, I I suddenly begin to realize now that um, as going, I've gone through the book, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that's not just a wedding scripture anymore, is it? <laughs>
1: no, it's really not. In fact, I, I have to be candid. I- I've never taught through the whole passage. And when I started to prepare it, I realized, you know, I need to know what this chapter has to do with the entire book. And so, you know, started reading through the book, and I realized, boy, this is a very unloving church. In Chapter 3, they have all these divisions, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, they're suing one another in Chapter 6. They're taking the Lord's Supper, and they're selfish, and some people are poor, and other people don't have anything to eat, and they're comparing themselves with one another and arguing about spiritual gifts. And what you realize is that instead of love being this sort of euphemistic, wonderful feeling, ooey-gooey, we sit around the table, or we have coffee, and we have these wonderful moments with one another. Now, don't get me wrong. I like that. But what he really does is he gives them the antidote to rushed lives, when you hurt one another, uh, when you fail one another, when you have misplaced priorities, uh, and when you just have differences that, that put you at odds with one another. And so really what I love about this, you know, if people have been listening and feel kind of negative, like, oh, man, I could never get there, it's really in the form of, so how do you love someone who's hurt you? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. How do you love someone when they're really different? I mean, sometimes our kids are really different. Uh, how do you love someone... Um, when they fail you, or, or or when you fail, or when your priorities are—we just talked about—but when your priorities are misplaced, what does love look like? And this is really a book that walks very practically through. Okay, you just got wounded or hurt by your mate, or one of your kids, or a friend. How do you respond in love? Well, it's patient and kind. You absorb the blow and you give them a hug. And we talk about what that looks like. That begins to build a bond. The relationship that brings transformation.
0: What what I found almost startling, in, in a sense, is the amazing comparison between the mentality of doing that exists not only outside of the church in the working uh, world, the the Silicon Valley shuffle as you call it inside the book, but also inside of the church. You know that that amazing chapter where where. Paul talks about the fact that doing things, be it speaking in tongues, or having the gift of prophecy, or having knowledge, or faith enough to move mountains, goes through this list of, of activities, in a sense, of things, of doing things, and ultimately comes down to this, that all of that together, absent love, and I am nothing.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, it is startling. I mean, the I put a little equation in the book: everything, and just add. I mean, everything: great kids, great marriage, everyone thinks well of you, good income, upwardly mobile, good SAT scores, uh, leader in the community, everything minus love equals a zero. Yeah. Or anything, you know, this one someday some way, if only, you know, my son gets into Stanford or if only, you know, we the company goes public or if only we can resolve this big marriage. Anything minus love equals a, a goose egg, a nada, a zero. And what's weird is you realize even like you just mentioned, you know, spiritual things. I mean I mean if I have these amazing gifts or amazing faith or even give your body to be burned, it's a picture of Being a martyr or or literally giving all your money away. Isn't it weird to think that you could give all your money away and really not be loving at all, but do it just to get strokes from people? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it really is sort of – it cuts through all of life. And begins to give you a, a completely different metrics about how you measure success.
0: So, if we begin with the premise here that love is the answer, that certainly begs, uh, of course, what and then is the the question. And and toward that end, you walk us through in the early chapters of spiritual simplicity. Um, kind of a prescription for some of the initial steps to get off of the crazy treadmill and, and the manner by which we define our sense of success in life to to this love focus. And and with that, take a moment, if you would, Chip, and walk us through, the, the, I think there are three initial or key prescriptions that you offer the readers.
1: Well, I say, first of all, that love, um, it demands focus. And, and, and certainly, you know, the, the thing is, is that that that's not rocket science. But you know, we do get so fragmented. The secret to simplifying your life, you really have to focus and say, and, and it's hard to be honest, what really matters? I mean, if I was a doctor, you know, the love doctor, I would just sit down with people and say, okay, what really matters? And, and, and let's look at not what you say, but let's look at your time and where your money goes, okay? And where your energy goes. And then my, my prescription pad, I would write, okay, let's get our focus on love. Second is you can only do less when you choose to love more. And so let's get out of, I mean, you're smart people. You know, time techniques and time management and, you know, schedules and calendars. Obviously, there's a place for all that. But what if you put in your calendar? I mean, I remember when I made a to-be list instead of a to-do list. Mm. I was working 85 hours, 90 hours. And talk about a workaholic. I mean, I was doing like 85 or 90 hours. And, and this was when I was pastoring not a mega church, but a mini-church. There was 35 people, and I was so insecure and felt like I needed to meet everybody's needs. I mean, I actually went to the doctor, and he just said, "Man, you're going to kill yourself." And, and what, but what I what I realized what I was doing was, you know, I just felt compelled to please everybody all the time. And what I didn't understand was the second thing, where one you make love the focus, and you do it by choosing that. And so I stopped, and I made it to be list. Okay, I wanted to be a man of God, and I wrote in my calendar, Time with God in the morning. I want to be a great husband, and I wrote in a date with my wife every week, and eating dinner uh, five out of seven days. It was crazy. I I wrote all the things that would make me the kind of man and father I wanted to be, and then I just said, you know something? I never get my to-do list done anyway, so I'm going to make my to-do list on the right, but I'm going to put my to-be list in my schedule. You know, I met with my kids. We ate dinner together. Uh, Things that people seem weird now, and I look back now, and I've been, you know, I guess I was about 28, 29 years old, and I'd only been married a few years, had three kids at the time. That was the biggest transition. And what I can say now, with all my kids grown and now having kids, um, I don't have a single regret.
0: You know, and what's profound about that is that to-do list, as everybody listening to our conversation right now, Chip, knows it never ends. Scratch 10 items off and you add 20 more. I mean, a lot of us in business do that every day. We start the day, we make up our to-do list. And if you're lucky, if there's 20 items there, you might in a really good day, get through 15 of them. And then you start tomorrow fresh and you think, well, I've only got five left and then I'm done. No income, 20 or 30 more. You're never going to accomplish the to-do list. That's going to be forever. It is,
1: but you it can
0: focus boy. on achieving no. success in accomplishing the to-be list, can't you?
1: No, you can't. And, and, and by the way, it is really hard. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a radical commitment. And you need some people to help you stay there. And then you need a tool. You need a tool to say, okay, I want to be more loving. Well, what am I supposed to do if I talk with God? Or what am I supposed to do during those dinners? And kind of what this book does is it gets down to where the rubber meets the road. How do you love with the differences in your family? Hmm. How do you love when someone fails like you? Uh, how do you love when someone hurts <clears throat> feelings? And so that's what I think people need, and that's my heart's desire is, you know, get people in this level of practical relationships. And and the thing is, is the payoff is so rich. Once you start loving, um, an awful lot of the work that we do, if we're honest, what it brings us is either adulation or affirmation. And that feels like love. But what people are doing is they're rewarding what we do, not who we are. Love is when I get rewarded and cared for and invested in not because I do anything but just for who I am that fills my tank and fills my soul and and, and a different person goes to work and goes to those activities and uh, but it, you'll never go wrong putting first loving God and loving people this book is okay great how do you do it?
0: And that takes us to a pause here. When we come back, we'll dive a little bit deeper as Chip has already given us a bit of a a feeling of where we're headed with the third prescription, and that is the way we redefine success. Our conversation today with Pastor Chip Ingram the book Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More. A brief timeout back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special guest. He, of course, is the senior pastor at Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos and the author of a number of best-selling books. His latest can be a life-changing one for you. Spiritual simplicity: doing less, loving more. Newly released by Simon and Schuster, you'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Amazon.com. Pastor Chip, we were talking about this a prescription pad that you've taken out as our spiritual doctor here <laughs> today, and and you you began to suggest just prior to the break that um, part of all of this in in resetting our focus, um, and 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 then understanding that we need to do less and choose to love more. It comes down to, then, your third prescription, redefining success.
1: Yeah, you've got to start asking different questions. I mean, if, if, if unconsciously, the thing is we're always asking questions. It's how God made our mind. If unconsciously uh, I'm asking, uh, how many points did my kid score? Did he make the traveling team? How many instruments do they play? Then I'm, I'm asking the question always, how did he do? And so I create a performance orientation for my kids. And then what my kids feel like is, um, I'm loved when I do well. I'm not loved when I don't do well. You know, what were your grades? Uh, We do that in our marriage. Uh, We do that at work. I mean, work is defined. How did you do? We need to change that question to, who am I becoming? Um, uh, What kind of man am I becoming? What kind of father am I becoming? What kind of Christian am I becoming? Am I becoming kinder? Am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more holy? Um, if we can begin to change the the, the definition of success, see, those things, when your kids get grown, and, you know, I have the advantage, I've kind of been down this road. All my kids are grown. And, And, of course, I cared, you know, and we went to all the little league games and You know, we had struggles with school, and we had all kind of issues. But it's so funny now. No one has ever asked me where my kids went to college. No one has ever asked me what their grades were. In fact, no one's ever asked me where I went to school or what my grades were. But I'll tell you something. When you have a 25- or 30- or 35-year-old son or daughter who you look at their life, and you realize they love God, they care about other people, they're people of integrity, and this weird thing happens they actually want to be around you you know and as as the as the commercial says it's priceless mm-hmm. i mean it's priceless and yet we are setting ourselves up for kids that have really good grades that are very successful that don't have any time with us that were high on performance and low on character and spiritual development and we have a lot of people that have 20 and 25 and 30 year olds that well, guess what? They imitate what we do. They don't have time for their folks now. They're not people of integrity. They're very narcissistic. They think they're the center of the universe. And, and you have parents whose hearts are broken, like, what happened? We took them to church. We sent them to a Christian school. We, we gave them all this. What, what went wrong? And all I'm saying is the Bible promises love never fails but love isn't activity and knowledge and cognitive and achievement. There's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But the core is loving God and loving one another.
0: So much of that, too, Pastor Chip, leads back to this notion of, of the character. You, you mentioned it just a moment ago. A lot of it has to do with our attitude. Uh, you know, the, the the typical carnal model that we all live under and are, and are usually driven by it, most naturally promotes many of those fleshy, sinful characteristics of envy and arrogance. And, and, and you talk about in the book the fact that, that comparison even, what we're all, well, how are we doing? To compare? My sales numbers are better than his. All of that can lead to carnality.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The first question he answers to this very unloving church is how love responds to hurts when you're wounded. The second question he asks, and answers is, how does love respond to differences? And, and, you know, we hear this, but here's how love responds to differences. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. And so, so what he basically says is, you guys are arguing about all this stuff. When we compare ourselves with each other, we either compare up or compare down. If I compare myself and I look up, and I think, oh, this person's smarter, better, more holy, more gifted. Then I feel inferior, and that leads me to envy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish I had their gifts. I wish I was like them. I wish I had their marriage. Or I compare down, and I think, oh, man, this person doesn't have it together, and they got a lousy this, lousy that. Well, then that produces pride, and I'm boastful. And he says love. He says love doesn't envy, and love doesn't boost. We we take you through a process in that chapter to help you celebrate differences instead of comparing yourself with differences. You don't compare yourself with one another. You know, Bobby got an A in math, and you got a C. What's wrong with you? Some kid ought to say, I'm not Bobby. (laughs) You (laughs) know, but but I'm great in art, and math is hard for me. The issue isn't whether they got a C or an A. The issue is, did they give it their best shot? What are they gifted to do? We need to stop comparing our kids with one another, comparing ourselves with one another, Celebrate those differences and say, you need to become all that God made you to be. And I'm glad you're good at that, because I'm not. Uh, And you know what? I am good at this, and I'd love to help you in that. So it produces interdependency. Which produces love.
0: And you know, the amazing thing, Pastor Chip, is the formula is right there. You know, you, you make reference in the book to uh, uh, one of the best selling songs, certainly of our generation, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. And we, we do that so often. And then when we kind of get called on it, and we say, well, we're having a tough time really understanding what exactly is love. And, and, and here, once again, uh, Paul so wonderfully lays it out for us. Love hopes all things, it believes all things, it endures all things. Boy, if we could just take that to heart.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of fun with this, because part of this, it's a real challenge to our values. I mean, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, God is saying, here's, here's what I guarantee, the God who created everything. I mean, this is, how simple does this get? Talk about, you want to simplify your life? I quote, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor like yourself. All the Psalms, the Prophets, the teaching—it's summed up in these two commands. And and so you know that one—it's really simple, but applying that is really complex. So one of the things we did is uh, each chapter, we uh, we talked about sort of a, a hit song from different eras, and uh, it made it kind of fun to help people. You kind of have to have a little sugar for the medicine to go down well. So, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places, who hasn't done that, right? In success or sex or money or fame, and yet here's God says, here, here's, here's where you can find it. And uh, he, he longs for us. We have a gracious, caring, heavenly Father uh, who will take us right where we're at, forgive us for where we've been, and then infuse us with the power to really be able to receive his love first and then love people that matter in your life.
0: And I guess to a great degree that really is the key, isn't it? we, We have to dispense with defining ourselves based on what we do and what we accomplish to open up room enough in order to engage in uh, that 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 rewarding, deep relationship with the Lord, as we learn more of Him and are more intimate in our fellowship and our relationship with Him, we begin to discover more of God's character. And then we just simply say, copy Him. I mean, it, it's, it's the purest form of discipleship that one could ever imagine. But it's hard to, to copy and emulate the way the Lord loves if you haven't experienced it.
1: Well, I'd say it's impossible. You can't impart what you don't possess. Mm. And I think there's an awful lot of our dear and sincere brothers and sisters listening to us right now, That and we've all been there, where life has gotten so busy and there's so many demands, that that time alone with God, to in an unhurried measure, uh, stop and talk to Him about everything on your heart, uh, to tell Him, you know, you know, I've got the rest of the day, and I don't know what to do, and I feel hurt about that, I feel angry about this, I need your help, I've got two big meetings, I don't know how we're going to pay next month's bills. Lord, I need your help now. Open his word and let him speak to you. The, the, the great majority of, of Christians somehow have, have allowed that special time where you experience God's love and power, somehow we don't have time for that, and then we, it's like trying to drive a car without any gas in the tank. And so we don't experience God's love. And then trying to give that, you know, your son or daughter makes you mad and you snap at him, or you, your husband or wife says something, and, and so you shut down. And we, we can't give supernatural love to people who don't deserve it unless we receive it. And I just think you're right, Craig. If there's one thing I could give to every Christian hearing our voice, it would be, Stop first and let God love you. Just, just, just stop and make that the priority, and then just ask Him, ask Him for the power and the grace, and that always is related to being in His Word. It's always related to talking from the heart, and it's always related to doing life in community with other
0: believers. Um, Pastor Chip Ingram with us today. A look at spiritual simplicity doing less, loving more. We'll be back with some closing thoughts from Pastor Chip as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back. We're in the home stretch of our conversation today. Our guest, of course, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners, he is Pastor Chip Ingram. Got a new book out called Spiritual Simplicity doing less, loving more. By the way, sometimes these books attempt to be uh, very deep, very profound, very thick. (laughs) This is not one of them. This is a book that takes you deep, but does it in simplicity, even as the title suggests, and a book that probably in the course of a couple of days you could read Take to heart, begin to apply these these thoroughly biblical principles and begin to see God do a revolution in your life. You can pick up a copy of Spiritual Simplicity at any Bay Area bookstore or simply order it online through Amazon.com. The publisher, of course, Simon & Schuster. Well, Pastor Chip, as we head down the, the stretch here, uh, you get in toward the end of the book um, some very important steps, uh, suggesting that uh, this is kind of some of the things that we need to do in order to see this work out in our practical life. And I and I had a kick as I read your your lift of step down, step away, step in, step out. I thought, well, at first it seemed like instructions for maybe square dancing, <laughs> but but in fact, it's great practical instructions to learn how to apply these principles to achieve spiritual simplicity. Walk us through,
1: Greg. I'd be glad to. You know, step down, and this is where it all begins. You you have to surrender. You just have to say, you know, Lord. Um, I'm, I'm going to bow before you and realize that loving you and loving others is, has not been the priority. I want to own that. I want to confess that. I want to ask for your help. And I'm going to surrender and say, I, I will do whatever you want me to do. And then I think step in is realizing that no one can do this alone. I, I mean, this is not like you know, I had a guy tell me, hey, thanks. It was kind of short, kind of simple. I read it in about two, two and a half hours. and um, But just reading a book will maybe put some good ideas in your mind You need people. In fact, one of the things we did, we spent a considerable amount of time and energy and money to make a small group DVD that goes right with every chapter. And that's available at livingontheedge.org. And we made the teaching time just about 20 minutes, so there's plenty of time to really discuss it. But you've got to do this with other people. And then I think the third one is step up and um this is a time when you just you know you're with other people and you just have to say you know something i'm going to take a step to love and get involved in other people's lives so much of this you know about love is our focus gets to be on us and how we're doing and at some point you you kind of step up and you say who has a need that i i'm i'm called by god to meet starting with my family my mate my kids my roommate and then you step out and eventually you just have to begin to reach out and say you know we as a family what would happen what would happen if instead of always asking how are we doing if we as a family actually maybe went out on the front porch and looked at all the houses around here or drove through our neighborhood or just said you know where are we burdened how could we help other people and so you find it's a it's a real clear progression that um, allows us to get our focus off ourselves get reconnected to god love one another be strengthened And then I I just, as we taught this at our church, I just watched person after person after person tell me stories, Craig, about, you know, I didn't have any time, and I was so busy. And you know what? I invited a group of ladies over to my house just once. I thought, oh, I don't have time, but I don't have any relationships. And every time I get with people, oh, yeah, let's get together someday, some way. She goes, I invited people over, and everyone came. She says, I have no agenda. All I would like to do is eight people that I got to know from school, and I had them over. I had some light coffee, and I just said how could we pray for you? And she mm. goes, we we spent 2 hours as women, bonds formed, and she goes, you know something, I just started making time for it. My life got turned around.
0: You know, and the amazing thing about that is if we take that focus off of self and put it on to others, not only are we we helping to fulfill that 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 greatest commandment and the and the great commission, but it takes us back as you do in the final pages of the book to what it really means to be a disciple of Christ. Spend a moment on that, would you, as we conclude our conversation today, Pastor Chip?
1: Well, at the heart of, uh, I think, what God made me to do is to help Christians live like Christians. And I think the profile of a disciple, when you're really loving people, rather than make it some sort of vague feeling, after 11 chapters in, in Romans of God describing what his love for us looks like, in chapter 12 he says let me just give you a profile. In fact, I believe if there was a big server in heaven, and you could log on to heaven.com slash disciple, I think the server in heaven would put this on your computer. And it would be, here's a picture or a profile of a genuine, authentic, loving disciple. Loving God is your surrender to him. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. Uh, Loving uh, God means that you're also separate from the world's values, where you're not conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then we not only love God, but we love ourselves. And in verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12, he says you need to have a sober self assessment. Don't think too high of yourself. Don't think too low, but an accurate view of who you are, what's your strengths, what's your gifts. And then he tells us how to love believers. And he says in verses 9 through 13, you you know what? You serve one another in love. You take off your mask. You be devoted to one another. You do life in community. And then finally, at the very end of this one chapter, he says, well, what about those who attack you? What about the evil in the world? What about unbelievers who are just completely against you? How to respond? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. And so around here at the the church and at Living on the Edge, we talk about a mature, loving disciple is surrendered to God, separate from the world's values, has a sober self-assessment, is serving in love, and supernaturally responding to evil with good.
0: And, the, um, the amazing thing, I think, at the end of the day, Pastor Chip, we, we look at the, these principles of doing less and loving more, and we, we see that prescription that Paul offers through books like, like Corinthian's. I think the payoff is incredible because not only does it mean that we have our own life-changing and and, and more fulfilling experience in all of our relationships, but what a way to set the world on fire. What a way for the church to impact the world around us in such a significant fashion by loving more. The one characteristic that's absent from the world that we as believers, as, as the body of Christ, can provide, and that is real love.
1: Well, you know my story, and I came close to not trusting Christ because of a very bad, unloving, hypocritical church experience. And I came to Christ because I met some – I happened to be very interested in athletics. And I was at a camp with athletes who actually loved one another, I mean, in a masculine, powerful, biblical way. And and God used that. I didn't know that Jesus prayed that when people love one another like that, it would confirm that the Father sent the Son – But the authenticity and the vulnerability and the way they biblically, in a masculine way, love one another, all I knew was whatever they have, that's what I want. That's how I trusted Christ. And, and Craig, my heart's desire is when Christians live like Christians, not perfectly, but when we love one another, there will be no more powerful apologetic than all the face of the earth, than people meeting people that go, wow, you know what? You all really love one another. You know you, your marriage is different you you really sacrifice for one another. you really care about people that look differently and don't have things and you live out your life the way Jesus lived his life and um, that's my heart's desire and I pray that God will multiply that in the Bay Area like never before.
0: We gloss past that scripture, they will know us by our love. And we tend to want to redefine that as by what we do, how much we donate, how many people showed up to church on Sunday and participated in XYZ. No, at the end of the day, the, the, the mantle... Uh, the measure, the, the yardstick by which we are measured is our love. A look at spiritual simplicity, doing less, loving more. Now, as Pastor Chip mentions, there's also a small group DVD that accompanies this book, and you can order it online through livingontheedge.org. That's living on the edge dot O-R-G. spiritual simplicity doing less loving more newly published by simon and schuster its author our guest today on this edition of lifeline pastor chip ingram chip as always we appreciate the time and the insights
1: it's an honor to be with you craig and god bless you in the k team appreciate it
0: and now back to lifeline with craig roberts